Welcome to The Real Deal Podcast. I am Maddie Marshall, and I'm very, very happy to have Dan Napoli from Disconnected Productions. Promo- it's Productions, right, Dan? I mean, I should know this probably because uh, it's on my... I just saw your checks or whatever on your PayPal. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's Disconnected Media. It's been for like the last three or four years. We made a little switch a while back. Okay, that's see, that's why I'm getting thrown off. Well, regardless, I'm incredibly happy to have Dan here because uh, Dan has been involved with the industry for a long time producing some of the best, if not the best, in the re- in recent memory of um, paintball media stories. And seeing as how, it's kind of fitting that we're talking to you right now because um, – you know, I believe this is coming out on the 19th, which is the same day that the finale of the roster starring Chicago Aftershock yeah, will also be dropping on PB Nation's YouTube channel, Dan. That is correct, my friend. Nice. So, yeah. So, man, welcome to the Real Deal podcast. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by all the usual suspects, the people that make the paintball world rotate, die, precision, planet eclipse, GI, uh, makers of fine paintball products. Die makes amazing guns and gear, Planet Guns and Gear as well, too, GI uh, and Empire Paint and also gear as well, too. So help us support the people that make this entire industry rotate in those companies. So, Dan, uh, man, thank you for, for, uh, for making the time to, to sit down with me. And uh, I want to pick your brain about – there's so much stuff to talk about, man. You know, we always have these really awesome conversations off air. And so I'm stoked to finally have one of those conversations uh, – that we can record. Thanks for for having me, by the way. I'm I'm super stoked to be here. uh, Yeah. So I'm I'm glad you are here. So, and I think it's kind of cool that we have, you know, a couple of different things to kind of start our conversation off. First off, you know, I kind of want you to reflect on, you know, what the roster means to you as a creator and as a paintball fan. Uh, You know, it was really, you know, your brainchild, you and, and Leds and, um, it was you and Leds, right? That that originally came up with the concept. I think. Don't you have a funny story about actually coming up with the concept for the roster? Uh, I have a couple. But before can I before can I wax intellectual? Sorry, before I wax intellectual about the roster, I would like to wax, wax intellectual about the green room. Oh the uh, yes, Did we, was the green room not to your liking? Well, you ran out of coffee, and there are no M and M's. I, I when apologize, I say the green bro. room, I do mean my kitchen. <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, I don't know if your daughter Sophia is uh, going to the store duties yet, but you know, it might be her bad. Maybe she ate all the blue M and M's. Yeah, I, I don't she know. probably she, she's at her mom's tonight. She probably did eat all of them, and and uh, that's why I'm, I'm left with none. But D- does she drink coffee yet? Because uh, I know you're quite no, a coffee man. connoisseur. Even though I'm a, probably because I'm such a, anybody who knows me knows I'm an absolute coffee fiend. Um, and which why she is not allowed to have any just yet. She's her mom and I are both not the tallest people in the world. Uh, and so she doesn't need to be at, she's, uh, almost 13. So she doesn't need to be pounding lattes just quite yet. Yeah. Do you have like a coffee ritual at the event? I, I, I do, um, you know, in order to do 12 games a day, uh, it's, it's, I make it quite the point and it doesn't even, it doesn't need to be Starbucks. I don't, it doesn't need to be some bougie coffee. It can even be lobby coffee. That's kind of like the last you know, last on the stuff. Hopefully it's not lobby coffee. I'd love it to be Starbucks or Pete's preferably, but you know, again, don't really care. It just needs to be caffeinated liquid, uh, that tastes like coffee. Um, so I get two large ones from wherever. So like, like 40 ounces of coffee essentially. And I just slowly sip it throughout the day. Like dude, my biggest complaint about world cup is the fact that it's in a warm weather climate. So a lot of those vendors, maybe you can find it first thing in the morning, but like at the event, like when we could, 
come off the field, even if it's, you know, 105 and Brad and I are melting, it's like pound of water to get hydrated again. And then I need more caffeine. And like, you go to the vendors and they're like, what the hell is wrong with you? You're in pads, like, um, melting from sweat. And I'm trying to request coffees. Uh, (laughs) I do do have a coffee ritual though. It's much like yourself. I'll do lobby coffee. Almost what, what I like to do is I actually will get up like a half hour earlier than the rest of the crew. And go down in the lobby and have like a cup of coffee in solitude. And just kind of collect your thoughts, just meditate on the day. Yeah, just meditate on, <laughs> you know, how we're going to um, follow around Aftershock, uh, trudge through the mud. Um, if, if Mikey Bruno is going to uh, let us mic him up or give us the death stare. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So how did... Let's let's before we get into the actual aftershock in this season of the roster, um, let's talk about where that concept came from. Where did it begin? What was the, you know, the initial moment? Where did, where did the muse touch you, Dan? So, oh, that sounds dirty, Matt. I like uh, making things. I like making it sound dirty. It is it is fun to be touched by the muse. <laughs> that's why that's why we do what we do. It's yeah, great. absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, dude, it, so I'm a huge sports fan. Um, a huge NFL fan, uh, always have been as, as well as more, you know, action sports as well. Um, and so I obviously, like I had started watching a lot of hard knocks, which was, is, is brilliantly done is super fantastic show. And we were, I mean, to be super honest with you, we were at the time, we didn't really know what was going to happen with webcasting and that kind of stuff like that. It was right as, as you guys were, were starting. And I think there were even two leagues at the time. So, so one of the things that we talked about, um, and this isn't very, the very creative part of it, but this is the production nature that gets into it was, okay, we wanted to have a show that was really cool and wasn't, um, a thousand percent reliant on the tournament circuit like being solely about that. Secondly, everything was about the tournament circuit, basically, in terms of, and I don't mean going to get a different type of paintball. I don't mean woods ball, but I mean, like, you're only covering teams at the tournament. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, how they're doing in the prelims. uh, uh, We got this penalty. Like, we got screwed here. We didn't get screwed here. Like, yada, you know, your, your usual suspects. And then you started to think about it, apart from the creative standpoint, too, of that, like, well... For a while there, people I think like ourselves and like Cassidy at HK, like we were kind of like the video conduit to the tournament circuits. Meaning like, you know, we do a highlight of the Chicago Open and that would be if, if you, you know, and, and, and a lot of people were doing that. And to get a little, that was a little bit of, okay, the nuts and bolts of the event, who qualified where, you know, cut to music, car crash reels, kind of our shorthand. Well, the webcast comes along and it was, actually a breath of fresh air because it's like or comes back i should say is like dude they're they got this covered and you know in in a cooler better way than we we thought about they're actually broadcasting the games themselves just like you know any other sport we now have all this opportunity for you know contextual pieces like what goes into getting those guys those teams there what happens that the webcast can't just just catch? You know what I mean, Matt? Like like almost the other part of the story. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, you can. We try to do the best we can to to. Cap, I mean, our our mandate is to capture the action that's going on on the field. 
Um, that is that's our mandate. You know, Absolutely. capture, categorize, count it, uh, discuss it, keep it in context. However, you know that microscope only goes so far. Um, you know, we really don't have the resources to, you know, dedicate an entire production team to getting in the pits. And, and, and it's not just putting a camera over there. It's knowing what to shoot and when and who to shoot. And, and that's, we don't have that luxury. Um, so it, it was really kind of cool when you, I remember when you had hit me up and had told me, okay, well, we're moving away from the artifact. We're going to do the roster. And I was like, oh, this is awesome because it was something that, you know, also being a fan of, of Hard Knocks and just sports reality TV show, TV shows in general, um, wanting to always know what's happening behind the scenes and being fascinated by that because there is so much of a story. You know, I mean, that, to me, that's, you know, innate, that's innately the draw. I mean, I, I love watching the guys get to the pinnacle of competition and see how the hell they're going to do. Um, but it is infinitely more entertaining to know the behind the scenes story, which then sets the, you know, sets the entire stage for that competition. So there's a massive amount of context there, thus heightening, you know, the, the enjoyment of that moment. So when the roster happened, I was really stoked to be a part of it. Number one, two, to see those stories. Um, and you guys had a really good kind of start to, to the roster, you know? Well, yeah. So, so it came and, and, you know, it's a whole time. And so, so Leds, for those who don't know, Leds, who's the president of Planet Eclipse, um, is my producer on all the ETV content, um, is, is a great producer, is super fun to work with. Uh, um, the process is fun, obviously, as, you know, a guy who played professionally with Nexus and Bonsai Bandits uh, has a great perspective into stuff. So a lot of this is collaborative, you know, a, a collaboration of ideas and as things move around. And I believe Leds was, there was something about, he was starting to be asked to go to tryouts in the UK. And so he kind of was obviously wasn't aware of, of hard knocks at, at that point. Cause he's, you know, British for Christ's sakes. He calls, he calls American football hand egg, but he said hand, he hand wanted egg? hand egg. American po- football is called hand egg. Yes. Because in can you his explain esti- that? To yeah. Me? In his <laughs> estimation, our football so looks like, sometimes. it doesn't look like a proper football. It looks like an egg and you use your hands. Oh, okay. That, yeah. I mean, that does make logical sense. So is he a fan of American football or was he a fan kind of sort of, or was he like, that's stupid, you know, it's funny. Our football is real football. That's that, that should be called soccer type thing. I don't know. Can can I answer that in in five minutes? (laughs) Hey man, it's a podcast. We got time as long as it's funny. (laughs) Well, let me, let me come back to that answer because it's, um, it's tied into, to some of the impact of the roster. Um, once, once I get to that point, but he wanted a preseason kind of a tryout show. We're talking about things that can augment the webcast. I'm a huge hard knocks fan. I was like, dude, you know, let's kind of do something in that vein. And so we were like, okay, well, who's a good candidate for it. And, and the first year we did it, this was right after we did the one night in November film and the Nick Slowiak version of aftershock just fell apart. So it was like, all right, well, on one hand, Aftershock, because they're going to have a lot of open spots. Um, on another hand, we have no idea what they're doing. And then I believe for, on another matter, Grayson Goff from X Factor had pinged me that they were going to have some tryouts. And so we went down there for a pilot, and, and uh, it was uh, Dirt Rob and I 
uh, Brad Mon, who I who we normally work with a bunch, and Chris Diltz both had other jobs that weekend. I think Brad was doing a UWL project for us. So Rob, who's a great friend of mine, and we do a lot of uh, corporate work together, um, we went down to Texas. And, and the moment I knew we had something was, God bless him, um, Drew Heyer is a tournament player who's been around for a long time. Um, nice kid. He's from the Midwest. Uh, so he, he comes out to the tryout. He actually had spent some time on Aftershock. And we got that moment where um, Drew's going through and – Al Martinez and a lot of the teams mic'd up, anybody who's seen the first pilot season of the roster, and they're really underwhelmed with Drew's performance. And we did interviews with Drew one-on-one one -on -one, direct to camera, and he was just on another planet in terms of perception of his performance. We're like, so how's it going out there, bro? He's like, oh, it's, I, mean, I mean, I'm dominating. I'm just killing like, it right now. I'm just dominating everybody. Everybody okay. knows it. I know it. The crowd knows it. The coaches know it. <laughs> it's almost not fair <laughs> to we're in a huddle where, you know, Alex Martinez is like, geez, I, man, Drew looks like he hasn't picked up a gun in four months. And I mean, as a director, so that's the kind of moment like Rob and I are looking at each other a little bit where you're like, oh, dude, this is a real, but that's real life. Like that happens sometimes. You know what I mean? People have different perceptions, but that was a real interesting moment where I was kind of like, okay, well, we've got something. Go back to LEDs. You go, we go through the footage. And, and start talking about things. And we were pretty clear with the, the Hard Knocks in, in, inspiration. We didn't just want to do one video cut into three parts. Because that's not the same thing structurally as episodic content. Yeah. Or episodic television. Of you just find. We really wanted to do the, um, you know, and it's written a totally different way. You find where your little, you know, where your cliffhangers are going to be. Where you're going to hang out. Um, now, what came out of that, that season, which was really cool, was, and again, this is no structure of the show. We're just capturing the moment. X Factor, Al has a local practice squad that he wants local San Antonio kids that he can work with. And a kid, Jesse Stevens, gets called up during midseason to kind of go up with them. Um, and so that really started to get people on the eclipse side excited where, okay, cool. Now I feel like we kind of have, have something going. We went into the second season and, and really kind of decided to go um, almost all in with this being our content, did six 22 minute episodes, just like these other sports docu shows like hard knocks, like uh, being Liverpool and, and whatnot. And then, you know, really 100% went all in with Aftershock this past year. And it actually aired, I mean, other than it being available for download, uh, pay-per-view, and then also on YouTube, um, but it was also on Sky in Europe, right? Last, yeah. Last year. Last, last year it was uh, a, a, a European, he's, he's actually a field owner um, and or, or event promoter, a guy named Tim Barnett, um, I guess for a couple of years had been doing kind of a big time buy out there with Sky Sports. Uh, getting a couple hours of programming for a set amount of time, putting a bunch of different paintball shows on, and he and Leds worked something out, and he, he was thrilled with having seen the first season of the roster. I actually think it was Tim that spurned us to do, um, or I shouldn't say spurned, motivated us to do six episodes, because he put the announcement out saying that, like, there will be six episodes of the roster, and I kind of laughed and was like, okay, I guess that's been decided. We're doing six episodes. <laughs> 
Well, it's it, how interesting is it, or God, interesting or torturous or exciting? Uh, probably a little bit of all of those. As the you know the main mover, the creator, the guy that has to kind of be you know obviously you know it's it's planet's baby in the sense that they're investing in this project but you're the one that's got to get all the shit done and for the most part and so knowing that you know that in the public realm that they are used to seeing things on television and in these you know kind of types of documentary uh reality type features but knowing that you don't have anywhere near because, I mean, for people out there to listen, and you have to understand, like, the, the amount of resources that HBO and NFL films bring to bear on something like Hard Knocks is not yeah, only completely it, ridiculous, but also quite fa- fantastically amazing at the same time if you're somebody that, cr- that creates things and you know what it takes to, like, get things done. I remember when it first came out, and I was just spellbound at, like, wow, they do this in a week? Are you kidding me? Like, how many people are working it, on this thing? Dude, it's so insane. Yeah, I mean, just to give everybody some scale, it's like, I, I mean, Hard Knox's IT budget is more than our entire production budget. They actually pipe, um, which is done, you know, they basically make custom internet that they are piping footage from wherever they shoot back to NFL Films HQ in New Jersey. They, they run, on Hard Knocks, you run about 125 staff altogether. Um, I think it is... 85 people in post-production, um, 20 segment editors and producers, um, guys basically working, um, 10 hour days for like 40 consecutive days, but it's, it's that many people. And they're probably earning most of their years living in that short time period. Um, we do the roster with like three to four people, three to five people in, acquisition filming and then just me in post-production uh and and i shouldn't i i should back up from that a little bit and of course leds and al woods who's the brand manager at eclipse um are in producer roles where i'm spinning cuts and they're giving notes and stuff like that but yeah man i mean i mean the people doing the heavy the heavy lifty lifting syncing the interviews sifting through stuff writing putting the story arcs together um other than when you're you're kind enough to help me out on some of that writing stuff um, yeah, that's kind of one man bandish. So it's it's uh, we have a few less resources than Hard Knocks. Yeah, to put it about as uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's no, it's ridiculous. But that's that bears in mind though, and people that watch this stuff, you have to understand. I mean, that that's when I when I see things, I, I try to perceive it through the eyes of what it took to get that to market, um, and, and both be awed by the Hard Knocks that are uh, they have the ability to to craft such a fascinating real story. Uh, but also, you know, boutique guys like yourself, you know, that create branded content or just create that are content creators that work with what they have, because we have to do that for our broadcast. You know, I mean, we, so, you know, it's like the, the, the amount of resources that we have to bring to bear for PBA to create 36 hours, essentially of live television, um, that we're broadcasting over the internet, you know, it, it, it compared to say like an NFL broadcast. I mean, the economies of scale there are just, it's not even close, dude. It's well, like and- I, I think what it comes down to, too, Maddie, is by by no means it's certainly it's certainly not a complaint or meant to be like totally. Um, it's uh, just reality. It just is what it is. Yeah, it's, I mean, much like yourself, like we're we're worried about missing something because of lack of resources. Much of yourself, like you know what I mean. Like that audio wasn't right. Like 
an audio device died because somebody's working a 12-hour day and doesn't have a backup with them. Like, ah, we don't quite have enough camera operators, so something happened, and people can't be in two places at once. Um, because you very much, I mean, you want to make, you just want to make the best stuff you can, man. I mean, um, you know, it's funny. I, I was watching the Golden Globes last night with my daughter, and uh, Kevin Spacey won for um, House of Cards. Did you hear his acceptance speech? I, I did not. Uh, but but can it, for anyone that doesn't know House of Cards and how this kind of, I think, at least ties into what we're all ta- what, we, what we talk about a lot, is it's just – and this is – you know again, there might be some people listening out there that want to either work in media one day or want to create things themselves or need a little boost to, to maybe think they can do that. But Netflix has – and you know not only that, but the diversification of media online and the ability for you know people to create things like, like for a network – for basically Netflix to become a network, Uh-oh. that is insane. Like that's that that's the future. Um, yeah. but Amazon what did he Prime say? won four awards last night. Wow, Amazon or, Prime won four awards. Yeah, they've got a show. Um, oh, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, with Jeffrey Tambor, who's plays does the voice for one of the the agents on Archer and was on Arrested Development and um, the Larry Sanders show. Um, it's like a transgender. It's weird. It's it's it seems like it to me. It sounds like it's a drama, but it's in the category of comedy. But regardless, it won a ton of awards last night, and that's Amazon Prime's. That's Amazon's first foray into original content. Netflix won a bunch of awards last night. Uh, you know, House of Cards, uh, Orange Is the New Black was nominated for a ton of stuff. Um, so it's it's really interesting, dude. But Ke- Kevin Spacey's acceptance speech. Um, and now I feel like uh, a complete tool because I can't remember the elderly director who he was talking about, but he visited a really influential director in like hospice. Um, somebody I think who made films in like the thirties and forties, uh, fifties and, and um, you know, it's not the guy who made citizen Kane, but it's that level of stuff. And Kevin Spacey told him Orson Welles. Much, <laughs> yeah, not Orson Welles, but in that, that era anyways. And he told the guy, um, he communicated the story of telling the guy how much his films meant to him, how much they're the reason why Kevin Spacey does what he does, and how his films will stand the test of time. And the, the guy's like 95, and he tells Kevin Spacey that he appreciates hearing that so much, it means so much to him, and starts like sobbing and says, but I, I just, I'm sorry those films weren't better. I wish they would have been better. And so Kevin Smith said, or Kevin Smith, pardon me, Kevin Spacey said, so to everybody out there, um, I'm sorry my work's not better, but we're going we're gonna to keep getting there. And this award is very encouraging. And just as a creative, you're just like, Jesus, dude. Wow. But that is the kind of like, we all just want our work to be as good as it can be. And, um, you know, when we don't have as many resources as we would like to, I think for most of us, you know, it's not like it, people don't want extra cars and Bahamas vacations. We want to just make the best stuff we can, you know? Yeah. Like a couple extra camera guys, another editor, <laughs> if we're making our wish lists. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, right. But uh, maybe, maybe a little higher day rate for everybody um, for the cameraman so they can get through that 14th hour just a little bit better. But I, but I think that that's really – that's – you know, I was listening to – there's a, one of my favorite podcasts, and it is – 
Um, it's done by NPR. It's the it's called the TED Radio Hour, and they basically take a concept and then they go through and pull TED Talks. It's hosted by Guy Raz. Um, have you have you seen that one before or heard of it before? I, I haven't. I, I watched I watch a ton of TED Talks on Netflix, but I haven't listened to that podcast. What's well, you love it, dude, Dan? You seriously, this is one of those you'd love, and it it's really interesting. There's a, there's a bunch of them on there, you know, and, and again, for podcasts, you know, guys, you download the app on your, on either one of your, whatever device you have, download podcast app and subscribe to these things. It's, there's so much awesome stuff being done right now in the podcasting world. Um, you know, obviously the format's been around for since what, 2006 or seven ish. Um, but there's just so many badass podcasts. This is one of my favorite because, you know, they're basically taking, you know, TED Talks alone. Just if you haven't heard of TED, TED's an acronym, Technology, Entertainment, and Design. And they have the best and the brightest in the world pretty much about anything you can possibly imagine. There's well over a thousand talks. I mean, there's even a TED Talk about um, condensing every TED Talk down into six words. Like every <laughs> TED Talk that's ever been done, condensing it down into six words. And I cannot remember what those six words are. But, uh, but anyway, there's just been tons of TED Talks done. And so this particular podcast... Um, is you know they they pick a concept and so this concept for this specific episode was called um, it was the greatest generation it was basically talking about how I think it was like the new greatest generation I'm gonna try to actually look this up right now um, because it was that good uh, the next greatest generation and essentially uh, you know is that our generation. Um, is you know we're you and I are a little bit older than some of the younger guys that are playing paintball these days, but still we kind of all get necessarily lumped in this in this generation. But we all you know you have the greatest generation, which was like guys that fought World War II, and then you have the generation that came after that in Vietnam and hippies, and you know saw through all the civil rights movement and all that sort of stuff. And then you have you know the the next the generation X, the generation Y, and the millennials, and kind of they all get a bad rap, right? And sometimes rightfully so. I mean, me and Grayson just did a podcast, and he came out with all that stuff. And you know, I had talked about this before Jeez. about. Yeah, you know, about how so good. Yeah, you know, just yeah, buck up young people. We need to get tougher and this and that's and there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that. But but at the same time, this generation has access to tools that no human being has ever had before. And that, you know, I mean, that's why everyone out there in, in the interwebs land can hear my voice and your voice. I mean, you're in Omaha right now. I'm in San Diego and we're talking through the ether, you know, using magicians tools like, you know, and so but if you can learn to manipulate the media, you can tell a story. And I mean, that's why when you also research like the, you know, and this is not going to come to any surprise that anyone's listening to this, it's, in, you know, maybe 15 or 14, 16 years old, but anyone that's older that there's this huge wave of YouTube stars or Instagram stars or Vine stars, and they have basically, you know, taken the media that, that is around them and been able to tell some sort of story, even if they're only six second clips sometimes, but get people excited about that. And that was, you know, the, and so in that, I don't want to ruin the podcast for anyone that goes and listens to it, but it's just talking about how much possibility there is out of this generation, which I think if you couple the existing possibility that exists within the framework and also the necessity of, kind of going off a little bit towards like a little bit of a tangent, but I think this is important is that, you know, if you look at the, the possibility that exists by manipulating things using, you know, the tools that, that have never existed before for any human being ever, and also the problems that confront us, uh, combined with what kind of what Grayson was said, like toughen up a little bit. And, um, I was referencing, um, I've referenced this before, but it's, a, it's an amazing article, 
but it's a uh, you know the six harsh truths that you should hear uh, to make your life basically make you a better person. If you kind of combine all that in a stew and mix it up, you know, get a little bit harder, a little bit tougher on yourself, manipulate the the, the tools that you have around you, and and try to solve some of these problems. I mean, I, you know, we have the potential to be, you know potentially if we can solve these problems, an amazing generation ourselves. And especially the younger people coming forward that have that are growing up and technology is just so synonymous with their life as opposed to, you know, like when we were doing the audio right before this and my technical director's figuring out some stuff and I'm like, yeah, sounds great, man. Let's do this, you know? <laughs> like, it's interesting, dude. And I think even as you take it back to film and production, the uh, so I'm, I'm a couple years older than you. I just turned 39. Um, Happy birthday. You, thanks, buddy. Same to you. Thanks. Thank um, you. You, you and I are sandwiched right in Gen X. Uh, what I think is really exciting about, uh, about people younger than us in any kind of creative media that I think is a huge advantage for them is I, I think by and large people our age, we have to push ourselves to be constantly adapting because we, we grew up enough that, that it would be like, like I just had this conversation this morning as we were talking about some equipment. As a Gen Xer, my instinct is... I want the new camera platform to come out and I want all of us to look around to one another and nod in consensus that this is what we're doing and it's not going to change for 20 years. So I can just go on about my business of storytelling. Um, That is not how it works. I have to forcibly kind of drive myself to always be adapting that this is going to change, that there's always new technology popping around. And so what I think is such a cool thing and such a a great advantage for people that are younger than us, they've grown up that way. So they don't, they don't think any of, about any of this stuff is to be like permanent. If you know what I mean, they don't expect like, if you're to tell them that like, Oh yeah, like this $16,000 Oakley, you know, red dragon brain, is going to be um, obsolete in three years. They don't have resistance to that concept. They're like, cool, well, all right, on, let's see what goes. People like us, or, um, and obviously everybody's individual, I don't mean to make generalizations, but I think the instinct for people like us is to be like, what? And then to kind of push ourselves to it. And I think people who are the generation above us, baby boomers, who a lot of times, we're getting a little out of paintball here, but, but maybe so are the check writers on production budgets, are absolutely resistant to that concept. You know what I mean? They're like, what? We just dropped all this money on something. What are you talking about? Um, so again, I think that there's a lot of cool it, it, um, advantages um, to that kind of perspective on technology that, that young you know, people, like I said, they're a little bit younger than us that are filmmakers um, or any kind of, of creative artists um, are in a really good position to take take access of you know what's interesting though and there's just so many i mean again this is going to be one of our rambling conversations you and i always talk about <laughs> but uh but you know what's is that i was listening to that and i was you're absolutely correct however you know with, with the baby boomers is that baby boomers are the ones that invented paintball like paintballs were paintball absolutely. the game was invented by baby boomers thinking outside the box enough and loving the outdoors. And then another thing that I wanted to talk about in our conversation, and we don't necessarily have to go super into depth because I, I have a couple more questions actually before we get into this, but just start letting this percolate into your mind, um, okay. is that that whole Business Week article about paintball and kind of that's been kind of Absolutely. this ongoing thing. I keep hearing people talk about, you know, what's, what's the future for the sport and what do we need and this sort of stuff. And some of this stuff is become, a, you know, oh, we need to get to mainstream, needs to be mainstream. That's been kind of a pet peeve of mine. So I... I do want to pick your mind about that. I know you've read that article. Um, yes. 
So, uh, but, but let's kind of go back. You know, you were talking about having to adapt. And I don't think a lot of people know your story and how you became the storyteller for most of almost all of Planet Eclipse's branded content and stuff before that. You know, I mean, you, you know, yeah, you, you were so- a huge bridge too of, you know, when Patrick Sporer left the industry and Cassidy was, you know, rising up and doing cool, starting to do cool stuff. But, you know, I mean, you, you've been doing this and working in this industry for a long time, which is one of the reasons I value your opinion. Um, and, you know, obviously you read up a lot, too, and you're a smart guy. You're really sharp. But a lot of people may not know exactly where you came from. So I kind of want to get that out there, too. So, you know. Yeah, I'd- for sure, dude. I mean, I, it's, it's amazing to me to think about. I mean, I'm going on. This will be like my, my 16th year where um, – doing work in the paintball industry, which is kind of crazy. Um, and it's, it's kind of funny. Like it makes sense. I do what I do because my, my aha paintball moment where I got addicted to it didn't come from playing. Um, but I have played, I mean, basically, so as a, um, as a freshman in college in 94, 95, that's during the major league baseball strike when, Anything remotely that had a ball in it, ESPN was shoving on television. You know, they'd be like, oh, well, like World Tetherball Championships? Let's send four cameras. Let's go. <laughs> um, and that's when I first came across paintball. I uh, went to college, University of Nebraska Kearney. I was in a fraternity. What do fraternities do in the middle 90s? Uh, they run Sports Center in the lounge all day long, and people watch it. And so what was on ESPN was those 94, 95 World Paintball Championships. You know, Jerry Braun. And is like, I don't even know what's crazy, too, is I don't know why I thought it was cool because Jerry Braun, who's a, a nice, smart guy, but I'm, I'm a 19-year-old, 18, 19-year-old, like, college punk rock guy, and Jerry's in, like, you know, golf khakis and, like, a blue, po- you know, three-button, po- it, it looks like a, a Lowe's worker. And, you know, you wouldn't think at all this would be something I responded to, but obviously watching the game, everybody was like, this is amazing. And somebody got up and went over to the phone book and was like, holy, sh- there's, a, like, there's a paintball field right here in western Nebraska. Turns out it's Ed Poorman's field who um, ran a company called Warp Sports and Pro Team Avalanche who in the late 90s, early 2000s was right at its zenith, was, was kind of the rock stars of paintball, uh, who I ended up working for. So I graduated with a degree in journalism and sports marketing, uh, went, went to work for Ed who would, at that time, his businesses were involved in skating, um, you know, action sports, culture, music, paintball, all, all the different aspects of it. Um, we went out and did some work on the Vans Warped Tour in 99. And paintball was just one component. It, for Ed, it was da- obviously always the biggest component of the business. But it was just one of the sliver of interests to me until I went to World Cup 99. Yeah, what, and, was, like, what was the, the moment where uh, you kind of... I guess you could. I guess you could call it your instigating event. You know, when you watch a film, when you break films down, there's you know, as far as screenwriting is concerned, there's this 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 mythical thing called the instigating event, and without which that movie would never exist. You know, like you have to try to find. I remember when I took this class. I don't, did you ever take screenwriting? When you were doing journalism, I, I did. It's been it's been uh, yeah. a, a minute or two. Yeah, I know. I'm not, I'm not saying like I'm a master scriptwriter, but one of the things that I that I remember from it was instigating event. And so, you know, I think this this maybe is your instigating event. You know, without oh. this particular moment, none of none of the stuff that happened afterwards might have happened. Might not have happened the same oh, way. None, none of it. None of it would have at, at all. So we're at World Cup World Cup '99, uh, and and my instigating moment came from watching paintball. It's 
I believe it's you guys, I, meaning I believe it's SC Ironman against Avalanche in a late round. I mean, the way the tournaments, you couldn't really call them the semis or the quarters. The way tournaments worked was a little bit different. But, like, this was a super key game late on Saturday. And we're watching. And to tie into the new PSP rules, you know, this was in the day where you guys are getting somebody down the snake. Rocky Cagnoni for Avalanche, who's, you know, my employer's team is getting down the snake. Now, if I yelled out to Rocky that where I believe it was Davey Williamson was, I would have not come home or come home in a body bag because you didn't do that back then. Yeah. You just, everybody was silent. But I remember I was watching with um, Camille Baker, who Camille Lemansky, Travis Lemansky's wife. Her and I were uh, colleagues at Warp Sports that went to college together. She was down there and she is literally squeezing, almost breaking my hand in this anticipation. And Rocky comes up over the top, gets Davey, this also 99 is the year that Patrick Spohr and Brian Benining are filming, which will come out a year later in the film Push. So first experiencing that live was crazy. It was like, oh, my God, this is the moment. If you could bottle this moment and take this moment and put it in a bottle and sell it, paintball would be, I, I mean, it would be like crack. This would be insane because this is what it all comes down to. And then a year later at World Cup, when those guys premiered the film and you saw that move and how Pat and Brian and, 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 you know, Pat handled it as a director and then experiencing it again in a second way that was a little bit different created by film. I was like, Oh yeah, dude, like I want to do this. I, I, I distinctly remember that moment being like, like, I want to do this. I don't just want to get the music for it. I want to like create this. This is, this is really cool. Did you consciously, you know, consciously know at the time the power that that type of media can have in the world? You know, like the whole NFL films effect type thing. I don't know how conscious I, I was of it. Definitely subconsciously, and and now as I've gotten older and and have grown professionally, without a doubt. But I just know when we're, you know, so like I'm 22 at the time roughly and so at that point you know we're really the makeup of our own experiences and dude i just remember it was ritual in my house espn would air the super bowl the dot you know nfl films made an hour documentary on every single super bowl and espn would super bowl weekend would air every single one of them leading up um, like a marathon format to the super bowl that day and my dad and i would stay up and watch it every single year you know, the total, the, the famous, you know, the frozen tundra of yeah. Lambeau Field type. <laughs> and I mean, I just loved it. I just ate it up. And then growing up, then becoming interested in, you know, punk rock and skate, surf and snow, where that's just that type of, of work is how you watched those sports. Because for most of the 80s and the early 90s, pre-X games, that's certainly the only way you could experience that con uh, content, you know, I, not to sound like an old bastard, but of course there was no internet to go watch that stuff on. And TV wasn't going out of its way to throw those, those sports up on TV, on television. And half of the time when they did, it was the most embarrassing, like, you know, no self-respecting skater or snowboarder would watch half of the stuff that got onto TV. But so what you did was you just, 
you went to the brands directly who are making their new stuff. I vividly remember, oh, the new Bones Brigade video's out. And you, you would go watch that. So I knew about it from, you know, my experience and how it influenced me. And I could kind of see some parallels there with, with paintball. And then it didn't quite have that yet. You had some things coming on. You know, Patrick Spore obviously came out of um, snow, surf, and skate. And, and so I, I think for that crop of us, Pat's a little bit older than me. But I think it all just kind of made sense to us. Yeah, it is really interesting to kind of track the trajectory of all those those sports to to kind of see the the effect, the affect of of what those productions had, and just basically how the stories were told. I mean, that's really what it is. You know, it's like how are right. those stories being told, and uh, which kind of goes into the modern realm that we live in. Because before it was like. If you could find, you know, okay, so in skateboarding, the Bones Brigade videos, that was because of Stacey Peralta, who was part of the revolution that happened in skateboarding with the Zephyr team, the Dogtown and Z-Boys. And so he came out of that world and was wise enough after going through that experience, both as a professional skater, but now as a guy that had a little bit more success. And what, you know, and Stacey Peralta considers himself a storyteller. I mean, he ended up doing a really awesome documentary on the Bloods and the Crips in L.A. That was That was a good one. And so... You know, they were lucky enough to have Stacy at the time whose head was, you know, instead of like, oh, I'm going to, you know, go and do all the skateboarding stuff and just be a, you know, a skater who would kind of pull back and be like, hmm, what can I, how can I actually get this out there and use again? You know, it's, it's about well, the, the creator and the tools around them and then the material they have to use with as far as the story, the story material, you know, the people. It's, it's great that you say tools, Matt, because that's if, I mean, if, if you want to look at the skate story, that is, is a really large part of it because Stacy decided to go behind the camera, but at the time in the early eighties is the advent of home video and that technical revolution. And so what you could, what they could produce stuff for by shooting onto videotape in the early eighties, early to mid eighties was infinitely cheaper than the way you had to do stuff in the early seventies or the mid seventies, you know, again, much to the analogy of like when we were starting to come up, and then obviously uh, all the amazing access to tools that, you know, people have now, like those two things kind of, kind of always go hand in hand. Like I always find it um, really interesting to kind of dissect how things happen like this, you know, so it would be like to, to go to your point about like mainstream success or whatever, like, well, skateboarding made it like awesome. Does anybody want to spend any time literally deconstructing how they made it? Like how long it took, what were the little tumblers that opened the kind of, um, because you can't just simply look at, you know, things don't happen in a vacuum. And what happens a lot of times is I think this kind of convergence, you know, you get a handful of things that kind of line up together and it just kind of, it just kind of works out. Even, even us today, dude, I mean, it's cool. It's cool as hell. It's, we're lucky we have the privilege to do the roster what is akin to hard knocks at the budget that we want, that we, that we do it at, you know, 15 years ago, it wouldn't have even been an option. And, and man, in our, uh, and as far as the, the, you know, the broadcast that we do, as far as PBA, yeah, it wouldn't have been an option either. I mean, the TV, the TV shows that I worked on in the early two thousands had budgets in up either, you know, the seven, eight, $900,000, <clears throat> um, you know, we're talking about just for a show, you know, right. just for like a couple hours of TV, 
And, and those were relatively low. That, that's another thing I think is important if anybody's interested in media that you understand. It's, it's not that the caviar went away. Like, dude, that was low-budget filmmaking. Like, that was a, like, oh, there's not much production for this TV show. It's about a, about a $600,000 budget. That wasn't living a high on the hog in those days. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then not only that, but I mean, just the streaming capabilities online didn't exist back then in order to do the things that we do now. And but that's that's kind of what we're talking about, though. And it, I, you know, what would be interesting because as you were as and I, I think about this a lot, but you know, Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, sure, when he talks okay. about how the three main types of human beings that are associated with any type of you know whether it be a product or. Um, you know, some, some type of movement that catches on, you know, you have mavens, you have salesmen and you have connectors. Uh, and then he did write a, and this is kind of goes to what we're talking about here. And then, you know, as he goes into the, uh, you know, when you read that book, cause that book was written a while ago. I can't remember exactly when it was written. I could probably Google it real quick, but essentially, you know, he wrote that book and you didn't really hear much about, um, the internet in that book. And it was like, wow, you know, this guy's telling all these fascinating stories about, uh, how all these, you know, different random things became popular and uh, just not really talking about the Internet much. And then he did kind of come in, in an afterward and talk about the Internet. And, and he said that, you know, in the modern day that we live in now, as it stands right right this second, that the most important person that you have to keep in mind is the maven. Uh, because, you know, salesmen and connectors, like connectors, like with the way that social networking works and the way we live these, you know, vastly and every single you know, month almost, there's more and more ways to become connected. I mean, you know, it's gotten to the point where you're so hyper-connected that they're coming out with studies about how, oh yeah, hey, by the way, if you are on your phone when you go to sleep, the blue light that's emitted from your phone is going to mess with your, your, your brain signals and you're not going to sleep as well. So you probably should start reading a regular book before you go to sleep. You know, I mean, we're, we're starting to get to the point where like medical science is telling us to disconnect from these devices because right. they're hurting us. They're, they're, we're so addicted to them, they're hurting us. So we're so hyper-connected. But, the, but, but with that comes message immunity. You know, so with that hyper-connectedness and that bombardment of all times with information is message immunity. So it's like how many emails you get a day? You get tons. And it's like, and you get all this time, like, you know, you see the news and their commercials are hitting you. And then you drive down the street and there's billboards and you have pop-up ads. And I mean, there's just so much stuff like constantly bombarding you. So your message immunity, your ability to respond to a message coming from the world is much higher. Thus now... You know, and still it always is, always has been and always, you know, it was back then and it still is now and even more so is the ability for a personal recommendation from somebody, one of your buddies going like, oh, hey, man, have you listened to this new track from so-and-so? It's tight. You should totally check it out or do this. American Sniper so sick. You need to go see it. You're that's, you know, that's still the holy grail. So who that is and who controls that is the maven. And, it, and, and also I was thinking about like it would be and I've kind of tried to deconstruct this as well as we've progressed. But looking at how skateboarding became popular, you know, how all these things became popular, these extreme sports uh, and, and kind of doing like a tipping point version. But for those those sports, you know, like skateboarding, it, for instance, is fascinating because like when the Dogtown and Z-Boys thing hit. In uh, late 70s, early 80s, you know, that was basically that was like a black and white photo. Just <laughs> that was it wasn't video. You know, it wasn't like they were making these super dope videos yeah, and it cutting. Was, like, it was a genius artist named Glenn E. Friedman, um, who is a brilliant photographer who documented subcultures under the radar in the yeah. late 70s and early 80s, which meant skateboarding, punk rock and hip hop. 
And he is, I mean, I'm staring at it on my desk right now. He has a book that just came out called My Rules, uh, which was a zine he did, which is a collection of, I mean, amazing photos, dude. Jay Adams from Dogtown, Run DMC, Public Enemy, Black Flag. Uh, the dude's super, super talented and was just documenting kind of uh, uh, the world around him. But yeah, those things were kind of under the radar. I mean, if, if anybody's interested, there's, I, I think you've seen at least one of these, Maddie. There's two films. There's two skateboard documentaries if anybody really cares to, to watch this and maybe see if they can pull some, some things out of it that would go into paintball. There's a film called The Man Who Sold the World, which is about uh, Steve Rocca from uh, World Industries on kind of the business side of 80s in the skate. And for me, that one. That one's crazy. Uh, how much does that remind you of HK? Oh, yeah. And that's a total compliment to the HK guys. That is by no means something to take away from them. But of him, them wanting for their brands to, to just really dial it up. And I think it's so good when people are genuine. I really, really do. Um, and then the other film is Stoked, um, which is about a skater named Gator, Mark Wagowski, who was kind of the biggest skater in the 80s and got into a... Yeah, that, one is a, that one's the whole... That, the sold the world one is really interesting from many different perspectives, but stoked is kind of a very tragic moral, totally. like a, 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 like a be careful tale, you know? Absolutely. So there's a, I, I won't ruin it for people. There's a crazy, he, his story is crazy. So it's like, if you didn't care about it, skating at all, it's just a crazy story, but his rise and fall actually, um, mirrors coincides skateboarding's rise and fall in the 80s of of it kind of being the flavor of the month and going away and 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 so there's always been you know there's like i said if people are interested in that stuff there's some interesting little takeaways that you can kind of see and and you know sometimes i look at that stuff and i've been like oh man we haven't even gotten to like the stage four failure oh okay we gotta wait you know uh we got a ways to go skateboarding is already at like stage 17 um <laughs> But I, I think that's important because I think a lot of times people um, people in paintball sometimes are almost too hard on ourselves or people are too hard on themselves as, as you know, the you look at some of the the money and the stuff going on in other sports and you kind of expect it here. But, but paintball is still so young compared to those other things. Um, and I, I think the biggest thing is that, that you really look at and you see the that there's a gap there. And to me, it, it makes sense why the money is so different is the media gap. Like look at the difference in assets and the circulation of the assets from like a UFC to the NFL to us as a sport. You know what I mean? There's well, just, and that's no. when, that's when it drives me batshit crazy when people are like, <laughs> Oh dude, the UFC is doing this. We should totally do that. And the NBA is doing this. So we should do that. And I, and I get why they're saying that. I mean, that's very logical. It's like, Oh, this is really cool. We should do that. Or this is working. We should do that. But the meat hook realities of what the NFL has to spend on their media buys or just on their media resources and you know their allocation of, of, of funds towards creating content is just so obscenely on another level that it's almost like laughable when I'm like you know looking at what we have the ability to pull off and what they have the ability to pull off. Hey, on Jupiter, like <laughs> rocks float. You're like, oh, all right, great, man. Yeah, uh, sweet, I'll, I'll make dude. a note. That's and tight. If Do you have I, a rocket uh, ship to get there. there. <laughs> yeah. But so, but at the same time, I mean, there there still is, but there, but I think that's what we're saying. You know, there's wisdom when you look back at how football was created. When you look back at how you know, the, the genesis of baseball and how it became popular and, 
um, skateboarding and all these different things. There are tons of little nuggets of wisdom within the context of the time period in which those things grew, uh, when they found a home in the American mind and then, you know, internationally as well too. Uh, and we don't have literally have enough time to sit there and go into, so, you know, the, might have to do a part two of this, but this is, kind of, this is a running commentary for the podcast, you know, is that, yeah. um, we have to be very, we have to take a look at these things and not look at it as like, some complete bullshit that there's no way like when people are like oh i get these messages occasionally and by all means continue to send me concepts and ideas i love them however that doesn't mean we can do them you know like guys are like oh dude we you know what we need we need a cable cam we need one of those cable cams that can like you know be uh above the 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 field and like kind of just follow the guys that would be huge we need that i'm like dude that you're right that would be sick i i would love to have that okay i'm gonna need you to come up with a hundred thousand dollars a tournament can yeah, you, I mean, dude, film, <laughs> give me $100,000 to turn it, please, because in addition to what we already have to spend, because that's what it's going to take to get the, the cable cam in there like it exists in there. The reality yeah. is the realities of filmmaker making the second that you want to actually step in and start creating stuff and 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 a filmmaking and being a director and a producer and and I'm, I'm borrowing it's probably I probably it's probably Kevin Smith. I've heard this fun or whatever. I've, I've heard of someplace is it's the art of deciding what hill you want to die on. You are give you're given a budget, and okay, cool. We can spend the we can get the cable cam, and then not afford it, the actual signal. Okay, <laughs> um, well, it would look really it'll look really sweet that nobody sees. Like you just don't have these infinite. You know, you have to make decisions, and it's that that's um, sometimes a frustrating part of it, but. That's the reality of it. And you always have to go back to that kind of thing of like for you guys. Well, is the cable cam more important than the signal? No, it is not. We need the signal. You know, for us, it's that kind of like, you know, and, and as a producer and a director, I'm constantly flipping that is, is it's like with this special piece of equipment outweigh going to another event. And when you're doing something like the roster, um, so, so here's another thing that, that I think is interesting, too. When you talk about the roster versus hard knocks, because we've kind of done that a bunch, right? Like, the advantage that the hard knocks team has, besides being awesome and having great resources, is they're kind of dictated to structurally, meaning that NFL sets the rules. This many people come into camp, you have to cut by, down to this number by this date, you have to cut to this number by this date. That stuff, you know, the Bengals don't get to carry 88 people and the Cowboys only carry 40. You know, when you're doing what we're doing. Well, hold on. I don't, I don't want to interrupt you necessarily, but I just wanted to point out because I think I, I totally agree. Basically, you're saying that the framework of the cuts, um, that dictates a lot of where the dynamic narrative is going to go because that's where the drama is, right? Right, Be- right. Because the way you made it sound for a second was that the NFL dictates – kind of what's said which is actually the opposite uh, no, the case because no, no, they no. don't have any any input no, 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 almost no, sorry. at all let me let me explain that better matt so um in hard hard knocks covers the preseason which the preseason of the nfl is dictated to by the league itself every team has the same rules and every team so it's league-wide every team in the league starts camp with whatever it is a hundred people and they have to get down to 53 men by whatever the date is. Yeah. Whether you go to the Ravens, the Seahawks, the the Bengals, it's the same rules for all the teams. Not yeah, they're not dictating to the show at all, but 
Um, it's not different. It's not like the Bengals make their cut on August 15th, but if you chose to do the Ravens, they're not cutting anybody this year. That's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you come to our, our world of pro paintball, pro paintball is, and it's cool cause it's exciting, but it's so wild West aftershocks parameters are totally different than the Ironmen or impact or X factor, like the way they get to their 10 or 12 guys that they're going to bring to Dallas. It's not the formula isn't dictated by the PSP where in the NFL, it's dictated by the NFL. Is that, did I explain that better? Oh yeah, no, totally. I just wanted to let everyone out out there because I think it is a point of that. That is definitely true as far as how you would create a piece of content like hard knocks, but that I think it's also interesting that, that, that these teams because, you know, a lot of these people are, that are watching it have a, you know, and I do too, as far as, you know, a lot of times you're watching reality TV and you're like, oh, this is total bullshit. This is all made up. You know, like this is, that storyline is completely made up. And a lot on a lot of reality TV, that's true. But that's what's cool about Hard Knocks and some shows like it is that the NFL and those teams have like very little say of what actually ends up in the final cut. Hard Knocks, very little Hard say. Knocks is the realest reality show. Like, yeah, 90, I mean, dude, our got you know, Brad Mom and Brad Mon and Sammy Anzari, two guys in my crew, have worked a ton of reality here and there over the yeah. It's it's be a, it's it's very contrived. Hard Knocks is absolutely not contrived, and that's something that we wanted to take to the roster, and we really brought it. We we really brought it in. There was very few. You know, we got some kind of um, like at the beginning of this year, there was a few people that were like, oh, like. Um, Eclipse knew the Swede was coming in. The Eclipse brought the Swede in. I was like, that's bullshit. Dude, if I knew the Swede was coming, I would have had seven cameras on him. I actually didn't even know that until we arrived. Yeah. Uh, Do you have any funny, like, behind the scenes? I'm sure you have some, but at least repeatable, like, behind the scenes funny stuff that happened that maybe didn't, uh, that ended up on the cutting room floor or... Dude, one, one, of my, one of my favorite things that we almost did is a gag reel. Um and it shows his age because Bruno's the same age that we are, who is, who is so wonderful to work with, man. I mean, I know people think whatever about, about Mike, but he's such a good dude. But uh, Wesley Ward was a kid who tried out. He was in season two. He tried out for X Factor, and he also came and tried out for Aftershock. And he kept calling him Wesley Snipes. <laughs> and I had to constantly be like, Mike, 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 start that again. Wesley Ward, Wesley Ward, not, oh, sorry, Dan, okay, okay, and they kept that, like, uh, that was, well, there was, was, like, 50 people at that tryout, right, so, I mean, it's probably just Wesley Snipes stuck in his head. Oh, absolutely, I mean, 60, yeah, that, I mean, that, that's, that's another thing when you get down to, but again, we made this decision, we're documenting reality, not creating it, right, um, the conditions for the tryout this year for Aftershock were, were, how shall we say it, less than ideal for everyone. Now, if you were doing like BS TV stuff, we would have formally stepped in and tried to figure out a way to make it like X Factors was two years ago, which was very formal and organized. But X Factor owns a field in a warm, beautiful part of the country. So you can go down there in February and March and play on turf and be, you know, Paintball in the Midwest at this in this time of year, that's what it is. You know, you're in an indoor, you don't have a lot of time, and and that's just that team's reality. Um and and we thought it was really important to kind of be honest to their reality as opposed to be like, well, the roster works like this. Obviously, we tried to bring some some components and, and maybe some drills that that had worked for both. 
but but by and large we didn't try to make it oh well for the show it has to be it has to be this way it's like all right you're in you're in a nice indoor which means it's still not lit that well and you're using white paint which looks terrible on camera and we're not going to see any breaks but that's the conditions you're trying people out in that's just the reality of of a team like aftershock that and i thought that hey you know again that's what it really is man if you live in the midwest in winter if you even if you're a chicago aftershock like legendary team like they don't have the budget to be flying to florida to play damage and that's just the way it is so they have to drive through the snow in order to get up there and then get as many games as they can even if they have to share the field with walk-on players because sometimes that's what you have to do because that's just your situation so I, I brought up that analogy with the way that the structures work because for anybody that wants to be a filmmaker, one of the things that you have to be – we're talking about being cognizant of budgets and where you use stuff. So I have to make those decisions that like – I don't just look to the calendar issued by the PSP and be like, oh, okay, the cut to 15 men is uh, February 15th. I have to make a decision as to be like, okay, do we spend budget and go to the Michigan indoor? Is something actually going to happen there? I have limited resources, man. What if I turned to LEDs and he's like, how'd the shoot go? I'd be like, awesome. Um, we spent five grand and I think there's a good like 20 seconds in there. <laughs> y- you know, yeah. uh, would, does it make me very popular with, with my producer and, and, you know, and, and those guys are ultimately great, man. I, I, I can't give, um, without it, it's not about saying anything bad about a different, a different company, any other companies, but I just, Eclipse should get a lot of credit. I don't know if a lot of other companies would be kosher with pulling this off. You have to have so much faith in your director and so much commitment to the format. And that, okay, this is going to be our show. And, you know, I really, um, it sounds like cheesy ass kiss stuff, but really like Leds and Jacko and, and, and those guys really supporting. I mean, Do you- last year we took our entire budget and put it into the roster. Do you think that the reason why Jacko leads, you know, the guys that a lot of those guys were players and, you know, they're not suits. Um, they're just guys that they love the game and they start a company, right place, right time, right work ethic, right ideas. And they've become successful because of that, you know, magical potion. Um, but now knowing that they also lived in a time period where, and because this is a, a great motivating factor for me, you know, a lot of the best moves I ever did or a lot of the, you know, the majority of the things that I did, I, mean, I was lucky enough to be involved in some documentaries and some other stuff. But at the same time, the majority of like a lot of cool shit I got did is gone forever. It only lives in my mind. And do you think that they have this, that there's this certain thing that they really want to, you know, obviously it's great branding for their company, but at the same time, they get to tell the stories of, of the, of the battle that these guys are doing with themselves, with other people, with, you know, just having to try shoehorn this into their life, like just all of the drama that plays out when you try to play professional paintball. Do you think that they have kind of a chip on their shoulder to produce this type of content, even though it's not cheap because of, you know, the fact that they also came from a time period where there wasn't, you know, it's just magazines, essentially. There are a few videos here and there, but, you know, so most of the cool stuff that they did with, you know, Bonsai Bandits and all that stuff just lives in oblivion, just lives in their minds. Dude, that's an interesting, that's an interesting question, man. I mean, I definitely think... I definitely think they're cognizant of what, what I would say, especially with LEDs, um, but, but Jacko too, is the, they know from experiencing, they, I, I, think, um, I think LEDs 
wants his experience on film for somebody else or the equivalent of his experience for somebody else to be accessible to the sport because he, like you said, he remembers those that like, you know, being stuck in a van with your buddies, you know, being stuck in the motel six. Like when you hear those guys tell war stories, it's as much about that stuff, if not more so than remember this game and -and so-and-so shot so-and-so. That's obviously a, a, a big deal, but the the process that they went through. So if it's if it's about since his stuff didn't get documented, um, he wants to pay it forward and document other other players. Like that's really cool and deep. I didn't I I didn't think of that, um, but I think he really values that process having experienced it, um, and and likes to see that. You know, and the and the other thing too is like media has just in general moved this way, and Leds and Jacko are very tech savvy and very smart guys. Um, we see more things like this. I mean, dude, when Brad Mon and I started doing paintball videos, uh, what was this, 15, 13 years ago, we got lambasted, less talky, more shooty, constantly. Like I just want to watch people get destroyed. <laughs> and it's, it's cool, dude, because that has really moved away. Um, of course, we all love watching people get destroyed. It's fun. Well, but- I think that that – I mean there's a, there's a place for those – for that type of content. I think it's necessary. I think it's, cool. it's important. And we've seen it you know, since the dawn of paintball cinematography if we want to <laughs> kind of actually call it that, which it, which it really is to be honest because there's been enough out there now. But, cool. but yeah, you know, that's funny. Less talky, more shooty. But at the same time, it's like that – that in and of itself is this is 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 just it's not that uh, that is not the holy grail you know the having oh we just need car crashes and dudes shooting each other like that is not how that's not that's not how that, let's put it this way you don't go to a movie and it's not just like there is a story even even the craziest most full like transformers or like you know the most action packed film you could possibly imagine still has at least a rudimentary storyline you know good guy bad guy you know, girl, okay, something bad happens to the, you know, the hero and he's put in a perilous situation and he goes on a hero's journey and it looks like he's not going to make it and there's lots of action in between. But there's still a framework there. There's context. Even in the most action-filled, it's not just straight action scene after action scene with no context whatsoever. And, and to be – and that, that's what's cool. And, and I mean I, I, I love talking to the audience and players now. Dude, I can't remember the last time I heard that. I mean, it's been so many years. I mean, I'm talking about the first couple jawbreakers. I'm talking about things in like 2001, 2002, where we're just emulating what we saw in skate. But I think maybe you still had enough of the the leftover adult grown-up players, quote-unquote, at that time period, involved in stores and and the fan base that were like, uh, you know, had um, really couldn't get their head around the hero worship. I mean, to be honest with you, it was like, well, why am I talking – Why? Why do I want to listen to Map Chim talk? Because Map Chim is an amazing dude and a great paintball player. That's that's why. And I don't think audience people in the audience nowadays don't bat their eyes twice at that, which is which is fantastic. It's super rewarding as a filmmaker. But yeah, in those early days, man, um, it was just like you know. I mean, Pat got that with some of his best stuff. I was like, are you kidding me? Like that's your feedback from this film? This is amazing. Um, 
Yeah, but I think that's that is it's it is very easily if you are it's it's easy to err on the side of spectacle that and I think I went off on this on the last podcast. I can't remember. It's it's an ongoing thing I, I say all the time because it's I, it bears repeating. It's important, you know, working on all those TV shows and working at telling paintball stories for a long period of time is that when when people come in that don't have uh, either a experience telling stories, be any any experience like you know manipulating media to get those things out there or don't have a lot of experience with paintball they just they want to err on the side of spectacle and spectacle alone in paintball like it's it's the context that makes it interesting the the spectacle like no one's dying like people aren't getting knocked unconscious they're not doing triple quadruple backflips like when you you know there's they're not 400 pounds physically crashing into each other like until you know, one guy just overpowers the other. Like, that's not it. It's a very subtle thing. Um, but at the same time, they're shooting, they're playing, they're playing war. And, in, in, you know, in a very <laughs> metaphorical sense, if that was a real-life situation, it was the zombie apocalypse has happened, we have to raid the Costco for supplies. All right, Archie, Archie Montemayor would have won. He would have got the supplies. He lives. His family continues on. You guys are all dead, you know? <laughs> Hopefully he throws me a bone. Do you, that's the thing. I mean, I could tell you why every every paintball show that's been on tv has been has been in essence like a failure to be or and meaning that the the people that produced it weren't happy with it because what's constantly happened is this is the premise and you and i've talked about this this is how um and it sometimes doesn't even come from the paintball industry so i'm not slagging our own industry but this is the proposition to the public hey man you want to watch a show here's a show that's a sport you've never seen and don't understand with a bunch of people you don't care about. And I'm not going to give you any reason to care about them. Do you want to check it out? And audiences are like crickets. No, I don't. Um, which is a bummer. And again, it doesn't mean that the, sh- that the sport isn't interesting because it's flipping awesome. And we have some amazing people that play it. But it's all about that presentation and that kind of like, yeah, that spectacle, solo, car crashy, whatever, you know, it, it, it's been too much of, of, of the premise. And if you look at, you know, I mean, dude, I watched, I watched a bull riding docuseries for a while on TLC. And I'm the, I know I live in Nebraska, but anybody who knows me knows I'm the last dude that would ever, I have no interest in bullfighting, but these dudes were now to your point, Matt, obviously they can get seriously messed up. But they were fascinating. And the structures of, the, of that show, Matt, is a 22-minute show. The last three minutes were the actual zenith of the bull ride. Everything else was kind of following these four guys and what they go through. And it's like, you know, I'm popping pop, I'm sitting there at, at some point going, like, dude, I'm seven minutes into a bull riding show. What am I doing? <laughs> the producers got you, man. They, they got me. They, they got, got you. Me. They did their job. Like, you know, this dude's like amazing. This 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 individual is is really interesting. So, I mean, as a filmmaker and a storyteller, I feel like it's kind of my job. I mean, you know, people who watch the finale, um, and I, I I I truly hope to God he feels like that we we did him justice because I have so much respect for Mike Bruno. But there's some real. Um, I don't know if you're trying to keep this podcast non-explicit, so I'll just say there's some real stuff in the sixth episode of you know, the roster that is, you know, real life, man. And, and how paintball ties to it. And as a storyteller, man, it's really cool to, to be able to show those sides of people, man. I've been trying to get Mikey Bruno on my damn podcast for a good eight months now. 
<laughs> so, to no avail. So hard, man. He's so hard. He'll be like, oh, I'm totally down to do it. The last time, the last day, he was, <laughs> oh, Mikey Bruno. Love Mikey Bruno. But the last time, it was like, all right. He's like, all right, I'm down to do it. Let's do it like Tuesday. And I'm like, all right, cool. And then like, Tuesday rolls around. And I'm like, hey, you down to do it? And, and then no, then he texted me. He's like, hey, what's up? I'm like, hey, man, you uh, down to do that podcast? He's like, I don't know. I'm going to the hospital right now. I'm like, you're going to the hospital? Why? He's like, I don't know. They might have to cut my leg off. And I'm like, what? What? they have to cut your leg. What? What happened? He's like, I got a spider bite. I didn't. Uh, I, I, I didn't do anything about it. And, I, and then you know. And then so anyway, he goes to the hospital. And I guess like he got bit by some spider and it got infected. And then he just, you know, tough Mikey Bruno refused to go to the doctor. This is, right, this is like right before Cup. Yeah, like, it was right before Cup. around with like his leg bandage. Yeah, he was right before Cup. And then. He's such a good dude. Man. Yeah. I, 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 have, I dig Mike. I have so much respect. I hope he had, uh, I hope he had a, a, a good experience having, you know, Diltz and I follow him around and put mics on him. And, and I mean, you know, it, it really reminded me, like, you're talking about NFL films, which is really I mean, if you really want to study, has been incredibly um, important in how the NFL became so popular. But in the early days, I had just recently read an article in The Atlantic how um, it was really difficult to get those classic coaches, George Hallis and Vince Lombardi, to get mic'd up. Because they're like, what? We didn't, you know, we don't do this. Um, and Bruno, Bruno would have a thing depending on, like, I would have to get the mic on him first game because the mojo then so whatever happened from there if he wasn't mic'd up for the first game it would be the you know what i mean so like if they won he's like oh you can't put the mic on me now because it'll be bad luck um so <laughs> i ha- we had to kind of get in at the right at, at the right moment my favorite mikey well one of my favorite mikey bruno quotes from last year was when uh no it was two years ago it was when uh the tauntauns had all the, the gun issues and oh, then yeah. and then he was you know, was interviewed about it, and he's like, "Yeah," and I and I actually really like the Tauntaun guys. I didn't like them when we were going over to play against them, but that was just the nature of you know how the competition. And but I I really respect those guys. But uh, anyway, so but Mikey still doesn't like them, and Mikey's like he's being interviewed. Was like it was way past the incident, and Lauren had brought something up about our side. And poor Lauren Kelly was like, "Mikey, what do you think about the Tauntaun stuff?" He's like, "I've always hated them. I've hated them since 1994." And it's like, dude, that was 20 years ago, dude. You still hate them? <laughs> he's just he's such an intense guy. But yeah, I mean, but that was that was that you know kind of with the. Um, with the NFL films thing, because I, you know, I, you sent me that article and I read it. You know what I found fascinating about that article was that that the the genesis of NFL films began with uh, Savoy's dad um, in as he was listening to Patton give a speech in yeah. and t- towards the tail end of World War II before they were going to go into Germany, and uh, I thought that was incredibly fascinating. And you see, if if it, it's I agree, man. That what was really interesting to me is now after reading that, like the light bulb go, goes on because there's so much like war contextual reference to the narration in in even the tone of it. I mean, dude, the the lines the lines they drop in some of their stuff. You know, there's in the first thing they ever made the line was uh, it starts with a whistle and it ends with a gun. With a gun. 
<laughs> That's so better than anything we've ever written. Dude, they killed us. Their first line killed everything we've ever done, Dan. Jesus yeah. Christ. We need to up our game for next year. And it's 50, it's 62 years old or whatever, whatever the heck it is. Um, 52, 1960 something when they did it. Yeah, man, that was, but um, yeah, the stuff they did was pretty amazing. Well, I, but again, you know, to me, sport, sports is a metaphor for war, for battle. You know, again, metaphor, big, big difference. I can't stand right. those guys that are like, oh, well, you know, it's paintball. You're not really shooting guns. It's like, yeah, no shit. We're not really shooting guns at each other. However, if these were real guns and you guys were 20 feet away from each other, uh, that dude that just shot that one guy, yeah, he would have he shot that guy in real life. Again, it's not, you know, not really war. It's not, come on, let's, let's get, out, get our heads out of our asses here. It's not really war. It's a metaphor. But it's the same thing with uh, mixed martial arts. You know, Uriah Faber used to, used to talk about this all the time. Um, when, you know, he'd get, if he got choked out, if he choked someone out, he'd be like, yeah, you know. If this if this was on the street and we were fighting for our lives, you'd be dead and I'd be alive. Um, but that was interesting that the that the NFL films and some of the magic that they were able to to use to kind of you know really elevate just a bunch of dudes out there playing on a grass field with a leather ball. You know, like that's all that it really is. I mean, there's just it's just a bunch of dudes out there and they're just playing a game of football. But they were able to you know use a lot of those war metaphors, which is just Smart storytelling, man. You know, work your archetypes. <laughs> it's like listen, Dude, it, listen to Robert McKee's story. Like, just work your archetypes, man. Where's the struggle? Where's the drama? You, know, you, you like, hear it a ton, Matt, on on uh, NFL pregame stuff. With I think it's Tom Jackson from ESPN who played. You hear them talk about that football. Football boils down to imposing your will on another man against his will. And I think any of these like. You know, so you're talking about metaphor for war, but yeah, that that kind of that mano a mano, that that warrior type thing, and and obviously paintball definitely falls in into that essence. Um, I think is in, incredibly compelling, and as like a storyteller, um, you can do a you can do a lot with that um, because it's a very visceral, still deep in under there somewhere. We're still hardwired for that. You know, I know it's it's buried under you know. Facebook and Instagram updates, but somewhere in there, man, uh, it, it's still wired in our brain. Um, and, and I think that that's, uh, again, a really fun thing to tap into as a, as a storyteller. I mean, is that at the end of the day, cause there's been some really cool stuff that was done this year. Like Akuza was doing good work. Um, you know, was really loved the uh, Cena's impact series and all the stuff Cena had done, starting with the rookie. You know, you've been doing stuff, great stuff for years, but it seemed like we had a really kind of some really solid work being done. Um, there was even something that one of the guys who had done some writing for us uh, here at um, at PBA, uh, Mike Jeffries, uh, who wrote uh, an, an awesome intro to it. Uh, just basically, I just really, am, I'm enjoying seeing a lot of these stories come out. I just hope to God that there's more. You know, yeah, I, in, in in my twelve or fifteen years, I, it's probably everything you feel like it's cyclical. Um, for for whatever reason, knock on wood, um, we've continued to sort of win the war of attrition. We've we've been around for a long time. Um, you know, there was a period in the mid two thousands where there was a ton of productions going on. I mean, it's funny. I was just talking to Dirty Rob on a uh, non paintball project this morning, and he was talking about one year they did twenty eight releases. 
That's insane. That's that's nuts. There was a ton, you know, and then it had kind of withered away and and it's kind of up again. What what I think is interesting is with with Nick and, and Cena is the fact that um, my initial reaction is like, what, what took everybody so long is they've been snapped up by brands. Like they are now doing kind of what we've been doing with, with the clips in that game that like a brand has seen the value in what they do with video storytellers and, you know, want them because for a long time it was really on, on the brand side, it was really just Cassidy and I um, for maybe it felt like four years consistently. I mean, everybody's kind of throwing up stuff. And I know Keys had, had Callie and those guys kind of do some stuff. But, you know, Callie also plays for Infamous. And, and so it really, but, um, you know, so now I think it's going to get really interesting because video is such a great tool for any brand. Well, not only that, but it's as far as the game itself and why I was, you know, so adamant about trying to, you know, hey, like when Cena did the rookie one, hey, come on the podcast, man, let's talk about it. To let people know that there are these awesome creators, trying to you know, hey, let other people know, hey, you can do, you could potentially do this too. Um, I think, and that was one of the interesting things that was in, uh, um, was in that the that Ted uh, the Ted Radio Hour podcast was that you had this one guy giving this talk talking about you know that that's what's happened is that there's you know if you have a camera and a YouTube account and you're entertaining. That's totally up to you how popular you get, you know. And um, and I remember when I went to the uh, I went to the National Broadcasters Convention in Vegas and sat and listened to some dudes from Google. Can I and, disagree with that, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Yeah, totally. Uh, but yeah, but it was it just I just again you know it's there's something like every every there are forty oh god I might butcher the statistic, but on YouTube there are I think it's four hours of content uploaded every minute on YouTube. Four hours of content. That's crazy. Every minute, which creates a shit ton of stuff and definitely is not all good. And then even some of the stuff that is super popular, I don't really like. Like, you know, I mean, the most popular guy on YouTube is a dude named PewDiePie and uh, who's a Swedish guy and he just plays video games and, um, you know, don't really care for... Well, yeah, dude, that's that's what I would take... More power to him. (laughs) I would take umbrage with a little bit is like so... Um, Cena is never going to get more views than Cat Stuck in Tuba. Does that mean Cat Stuck in Tuba is better than the Impact series? Of course not. That's ridiculous. Um, same thing. Same thing with our work. You know, it's the super oldest adage. I don't even remember who said it, but the like, what is popular isn't always good, and what is good isn't always popular. I just, I, I, I think it's, and I get the the guy's point you're quoting. Absolutely, is anybody with a camera and a YouTube account has a chance? I would say, but but chasing popularity, I don't think you can control that as a creator. Oh, I don't necessarily think you can either. I just want to to let people have that confidence, you know, that they can create that sort of stuff, Absolutely. you know. And and that's because I think that's the biggest thing. I think that there's too many critics and not enough creators in the world. There's too many people that you know sit at home and watch something and go, "Oh, it's stupid," or "This guy's stupid," or they don't, you know, instead of actually getting off your ass and going to create something yourself. And then, you know, I just I think that the world would be a vastly better place if more people were creators and less critics. Now, again, you know, not not to say that things are above criticism or you shouldn't criticize things. I mean, you know, 
things get better by being criticized. So, you know, and that's also just not living in reality. If you think you're, you know, that's another thing. If you are a potential creator out there, somebody, whatever it is you want to do, doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter what you want to create. You want paint, you want to write stuff. You want to, you know, make videos or make music, like get ready for criticism and be Teflon, you know, because that is, and if you want to be good or maybe even, even border on great at what you do, you need to get the ability to filter it. You need to shut out, be able to shut out the nonsense, but also take the legitimate, the stuff that's legitimate and make yourself better as to be like, wow. Like I, I, re- I remember vividly um, somebody had brought a project to my attention and asked for my feedback. I don't even think this was a paintball project. And I gave some pretty harsh feedback. They had, they, had, they had sought me out. And their reaction was really unacceptable. It was something like, um, I mean, and I get on my daughter about some of this stuff sometimes. Like, I think their response was like, I tried my best, which is great. You want to try your best. But in the context of it, like, that's not, it wasn't like I tried my best. Thanks for the note. I'm going to go back and try to make this better. Like that's the good, that's the proper response. It was a little bit more like criticism is important, man. It makes you, it makes you better, but you do have to be able to have, you know, a little bit of a tough skin. You have to be able to filter out what is, you know, people just kind of hating on you and what is a bit of a valid, like, okay, right on. Um, I'll do that better next time. That's, you know what um, I did, I did make a mistake there. Maybe that didn't. Um, that work, you know, that, that'll make you a better creator. I think regardless of what, um, uh, medium you choose to use. Well, I think uh, that a lot of it comes down to, you know, when I, when we were, when we would have writing workshops and you throw your work out there, you know, you, you have to be ready for those criticisms. But, uh, the, the, the woman that I worked with, um, her name is Lydia Yuknovich. If you want to read some badass uh, female writing, look up Lydia Yuknovich. She's an amazing author. Um, so I got to work with her for like a year and a half. And she would always be very quick to, if somebody was like, well, I just didn't like this. She'd be like, well, why? And she was just, you're not actually allowed to say that you don't like something or even that you like it. You can't just be like, well, this really works, you know, or this, oh, this is really good. Like that is no help whatsoever. Like that's just a pat on the back. Like when pats on the back are great, but if you're trying to get better at something. Uh, mom uh, goggles don't help, dude. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's and good. Tell, and this goes for paint. Story of the hot water music scene. Yes, absolutely. But I just hold on. But I just want to make this like crystal clear because this works for paintball too. You know, I mean, if you're out there and you're like that dude's or, you know, if you're at, you're at practice and trying to help people, you don't want to just say that was terrible. You suck. Like that's just tearing somebody apart without giving them some, you know, again, constructive criticism. So it's not like, oh, that sucks. It's a why. So, you know, just kind of keep that in mind when you're out there because it just it's going to make whoever you're criticizing better. And it's also going to make you a little bit more of a positive person. So all right, hot water music story. (laughs) So as a a creator, you're you're totally right. Either one of those notes are are equally useless. I love that. I hated that. That's not working for me in in the way of like, it might emotionally pump you up or down, but you don't know what to do with it. You know, like, oh, what do I do with that? So I think it's maybe in episode three or four um, of this season of the roster. There's it's the relegation match between Aftershock and Texas Storm. Um, I turn in the cut to Leds and his note was like, this scene doesn't work for me. And I'm like, if that's the actual note, 
you know, that means you literally take a match and you light the scene on fire and you throw it away. <laughs> Start from scratch. You know what I, I mean? That's an epic, utter, complete failure. I was like, whoa, really? Like, I put it, I really put this together. So what was great is we got on the phone and we really went through the, the notes and the discussion and Leds kept saying like, well, the more times I watch it, I'm okay with this part and this and that. And, and ultimately what came, what we narrowed in on was um, I, the opening was not working for him. And he was totally right in his note. I had some things too far apart that wasn't set up correctly. So it felt weird. Um, but it's just interesting. A lot of times, if you're going to be a creator and you're going to work with the producer, you may have to drill back in to get what they're really going at. And I even think, and it was, it's never defensive. It's a, to a totally collaboration. A lot of this comes from, from years doing it. But if I was a younger filmmaker, I probably would have got super defensive. But it's funny, like, I think Leds even was like, Dan, I'll defer to you. You can keep it. I was like, no, 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 no. You have, I want to, I want to figure this out. Something isn't working for you. Like, let's figure out what this is. Um, and again, his note was completely correct. I was like, oh, you know what? That is weird. Um, I went back and I think it's like I had some, some VO from Bruno that was like too, too far apart. I probably did it because there was like a music crescendo. So I went ahead and punched that up and then dropped it down. I went ahead and fixed it. But that's, again, one of those things where saying saying the scene doesn't work, it that doesn't necessarily I don't know. I don't know exactly what that means, but drilling into it and being like the opening is weird. Why is there this gap between where Bruno says A and B? Oh, yeah, I totally get it. But a lot of times, you know, again, when you're in collaboration, you need to work to get to that kind of stuff. And then again, like to your point earlier, Matt, if you're asked to give feedback, being specific is really helpful for the people working at it. You know, you don't have to be mean, you don't have to be a dick, but just being specific um, is, is a really important part of the process. So while we're kind of on, I mean, we've been kind of all over the place with, I love <laughs> and I love it though. But uh, so for content next year, do you have any news for us as far as what you guys are going to be doing, what people should be getting ready for? Well, yes, dude. Um, it's going to be, I, I really am excited about the year. Um, we've, uh, the roster has been canceled or as, uh, you know, bands like Fugazi say, we're just, we're on hiatus probably for like seven years. <laughs> um, so I'm sure you might be breaking some people's hearts right now. So hopefully there's a payoff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, so the the issue is the, the issues with the roster are fairly simple and we and and I probably touched on this it, it's it's all in to make this happen like like everything in the world there's a finite budget amount of money time energy gray matter that can be put in it and to make the roster happen it takes all of it well you know that puts a lot of of pressure on that show having to yield stuff and there's there's other issues eclipse sponsors a lot of different teams there's a lot of different stories and cool things going on that when we're all in we can't address like like ryan greenspan getting hurt in between at west coast open and rehabbing for world cup oh my god i would i, I so wanted to do a piece on that 
Like that would have been, in my opinion, that would have been really cool to see how Ryan gets himself back. Plus, you know, Dynasty got pushed down to challengers. We couldn't make that pivot because we've already put all our eggs in that roster basket. Yeah. Um, and so then, you know, when, when you think about that for, um, you know, a show that's getting 40 to 60,000 viewers online, which is great, um, is only getting one or 2% of that in downloads, which is less than great, but totally expected. Um, you just start to think about um, that, that lack of flexibility for the brand is, is not the best choice. So you're saying still cool, awesome content, but but more diversification and uh, less focusing on just that one team. Absolutely. We're still going to, I mean, there's still, we're going to do, we're probably going to have a release every month. They're going to be shorter. Uh, we're still going to do a couple artifacts. It just gives us like a ton of flexibility. I mean, like all day today, what I spent all day today doing is some script writing, some some different producing um you know, uh, Grayson, we've got some cool things in the works, I think, with Grayson uh, from X Factor that, that could be really cool, where there's no way if we were doing a roster, like, I could entertain those things. There's so many different things going on in the Eclipse universe, and um, we're still going to tell stories. We're still going to make cool stuff. We're going to have more content come out more frequently than we have in, in, in the last year. Um, we've got an awesome preseason piece that we're working on. We've got a cool dynasty piece. We've got a feature on, on Archie and top, the top gun coming up. There's going to be two artifacts, which was kind of our standalone film series, um, from a couple years back. So eclipse isn't going away from cool video or video content in the least. It just is backing off from, we can't take the whole budget and only produce six episodes. And I think the other issue with that, Maddie, and, and I know you and I have talked about this privately, is, I mean, the roster is a TV show. It's designed that way. I think it is best experienced by the viewer in six consecutive weeks. That is, by the story structure, what makes the most sense. For From the brand marketing standpoint, to only have buzz, to take your whole budget to only produce buzz for six weeks, that's probably not a good decision. So what we did with the Aftershock season was we spread it out, right, over once a month. But I honestly think we did the viewer a disservice. You know, I, I think sitting and binge watching that is or, OK, we're going to tune in every week, kind of like what we did last year with X Factor. Mm -hmm. um, I really think for the viewer, that's the best way to experience the show. And so th those pegs just kind of don't don't fit together. Well, I think it's it's tough, you know. I mean, again, it goes back to that whole like, yeah, it's it's you're creating a piece of creative content that that's in a certain form, uh, but you're but just out of just necessity and reality, production realities and budgets, it has to get produced in a, in a certain timeline, which doesn't really suit the form as like you were just saying, essentially, right? Yeah, I, I mean, we it, it's. Like I said, it's it's probably best experience six weeks in a row. But if you walk into a marketing VP and you say, so give me all of your budget and we're going to produce assets for six weeks and then we're not going to produce any assets for the other 46. You're not going to win that proposition. very, And rightfully so. Like, it's like, oh, oh wait a minute, dude. Like, um, 
you know, that's that's not the best solution. And I think when you take something like the roster that's truly episodic and you spread it out over, you know, an episode came out every week or sorry, came out every month for six months, uh, it would have been far better experienced consolidated because that's how those shows work, dude. Hard Knocks is on for six weeks in a row and then it's done. Well, another thing, too, and we've talked about this, that it, this is kind of it's just frustrating because, again, it's just the way it is. Um, as far as budgets and you know production realities, there's not a ton of bodies to throw at it. But is that the rest of the you know UFC, football, baseball, um, with the franchise, boxing, twenty four seven? Is that they take these, they create these entities, and then they put them before the thing they want you to watch. You know, paintball has done it the opposite direction. You know, where Absolutely. it's like we film the stuff and then we put it out, and it's a story from what's already happened, which. You know, there's, there's always another tournament, but it's not the way that the content's directed. And that's just because, again, you know, people might be like, well, why is that done that way? It's like, well, think about it, man. It's like it's not the, the PSP is not producing these things in order to, you know, sell tickets to the webcast. Essentially what, what's happening is that these, you know, the, um, either the private video companies are trying to use the resources they have to create something they can try to sell or a company is trying to create, you know, super awesome content about the stuff that, you know, the guys that use their stuff um and again using and just trying to get it done as quick as they can you know it's just it's a difficult thing to do but yeah dude it's like so you asked me a question in the very beginning about leds and hand egg and and while he still calls it hand egg he loves hard knocks after hard knocks he was like oh i want to go see what the dolphins are doing like what quarterback did they pick like i even know like my friends and i are vikings fans and a couple of us watched hard knocks and a couple of us don't and Two years ago, the Vikings fired their coach and hired the defensive coordinator for the Bengals. And some of the guys who didn't watch Hard Knocks were like, I don't know. And the three of us that did were like, oh, no, no, dude, Zim's a stud. We're so excited. Like, if you saw him on Hard Knocks, like, we're getting such a good coach. Um, That's designed, to your point, that way on purpose. Like, they don't do Hard Knocks right now. They film going into the season. Um, because for their sport and their business model and the way that that's all works, it's like you see, that's what they want you to do. They feed it, you know, UFC does most of their stuff leading into the pay-per-view. Um, you know, that, that strategy ends up a little bit different, um, you know, for us as, as an industry, because much like other action sports, it is manufacturer product equipment driven, um, it's 10 month season, um, or, or, uh, no, I'm sorry, that's a little long, but like what, eight months roughly? Yeah. March to October. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. And just real quick, speaking of which those dates, uh, are out. So you guys didn't hear in the previous podcast, uh, it's the 13th through the 15th is the Dallas open May 1st through the 2nd. It's gonna be in Nashville. New side, I'm pretty stoked about that. I've uh, been in Nashville in years. Um, then the Mid-Atlantic Open is the third event instead of Chicago, so June 18th through the 21st. Chicago Open is going to be the fourth event. They switched that up because of the, you know, the rain. So that's going to be August 7th through the 9th, and then Cups 15th through the 18th. So yeah, Maddie. So like off that, um, I don't want to. I don't want to drop a ton of info, but um, our first ad- artifact is going to come out in between event one and two. And it's going to be heavily based on somebody recovering in Dallas. 
but, and, you will, but, but you're going to keep it secret for now. You're not going to let us know. I'm not sure if I should, if I'm supposed to or not. That's uh, all right. I mean, it's cool if you don't want to bring it up. Uh, I, I understand, but I got to ask at least. I should, I should have checked in. I should have checked in with Leds on that. Um, before we, before we, we went with it, but we wouldn't, there's no way we would be able to turn around and it, and it'll be an artifact. So it'll be a standalone film. You know, it'll either be a 20, you know, 24 or 48 minutes, whichever we kind of decide is short or, or, or a long there. We wouldn't be able to do that, that kind of stuff. If we continue to do roster, it would be one team and, you know, and, and again, when you start thinking from a brand strategy for them, I, to, I totally get it. I mean, they sponsor six pro teams for a reason. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, everybody's got valid. So it is a little counterintuitive to be like, cool, well, we sponsor these teams, but we're going to use our most effective tool, video and storytelling, but we're only going to use it with these guys. Um, so inherently, you know, you'd love to be able to double the budget. Um, and produce all of this stuff, but you know resources are limited. So you know you do what you do what makes the most sense. And this is when I have to make my appeal: buy these downloads, people out there. Stop being cheap and pay the money. So Dan has more resources to work with. It's very important, or at least tell people about it. Uh, Dan, I know you can't yell at everybody, but I need to do it because it's if, uh, if, it, if, it's. If you love something, support it. You know, like that's how it works. If you're listening to this, if you made it this far in an hour and forty something minutes into the podcast <laughs> about paintball with me and Dan just bullshitting about media and paintball and all this cool stuff, then you must be passionate enough about paintball. So help us spread the word. I always talk about spreading the paintball gospel. It's like you know, Dan's Dan's business. <sighs> Sorry. All right, I got it no, off my chest. It's, it, it is. I mean, if we um, if we sold more than 2% of the numbers for the free viewership, then yeah, maybe you would, you would have some, some options. You know, I try to be, I try to be pretty zen, zen about it. I mean, dude, I, I saw a post over the weekend on Facebook that somebody was like, I think I'm getting, uh, they swore and then said, I think I'm getting, uh, addicted to paintball again. It's Dan Napoli's fault because the roster is amazing, which is super nice of this person, but is like, I mean, that's super rewarding and, and that's really cool with that, with the, the, the projects that we work on and the, the, the feedback that we get to pe- from people who, who do watch it is so flattering and is just, I mean, um, very valuable, but like everything in the world, it comes down to dollars and cents. There's a finite amount of those dollars and you have to make the best decisions what, you know, what goes with that. If the amount of those dollars increased a little bit, then, you know, maybe we can have some other nice things. Yeah. No, I, and I, I try to stay as zen about it. Because, I mean, oh, again, I know. you know, it's, it's all you can really do is just create something and put it out in the world. Um, that's it. You know, I mean, that's, you, you know, you can fret about all that other stuff. And, you know, part of your brain will. Uh, but that's just going to cause yourself misery, man. Um, so yeah, you just got to create and throw it out in the world and hope that it, it resonates with people. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm pretty stoked that, uh, I'm stoked on the year. I think that there's going to be a lot of awesome battles, especially with some of these new rules. And, uh, and I can't wait to see all the storylines that kind of play themselves out and watch these stories. I know, guess I'll drop, unfold. I'll drop for you, Matt. I'll drop, yes. I'll drop time. Give it to uh, me. We're gonna, so the first artifact, we're going to document AC 402s pro debut. 
Oh, Paulie's team coming out of Texas. Yeah, that's a good one, man. That that's because uh, you know not a lot of people outside of that state or the, and that regional league know who's good on that team. Yeah, and uh, and I think that you know they they got a lot of momentum behind them and they did really well in the divisional ranks. And you know when you go pro, there's a whole nother. It's just another realm. It's a great challenge. And uh, we have a we have a long history with Greg from his time on Vicious. Yeah. And if if Mayo is still playing on the team, which I'm guessing he is, I probably should know this by now. But um, you know, Brandon Mayo played with them, who was an Eclipse sponsored player for a really long time. Um, I think Greg's a fascinating character or person, I should say character, character in the context of a film. Um, but he Oh, he's he a won- character. He's definitely a character. <laughs> Greg Paul is a, a character. I love that guy. <laughs> yeah, man. So he he once again is working, you know, developing young talent, and it's 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 interesting. It's real stuff, man. I personally, just as a fan of paintball, am looking forward to sitting down with Greg, and a couple years removed from the vis- vicious situation, seeing you know where how he's grown or changed or if not or what his takeaway. Um, you know, I think there's a, a lot of interesting things there. Plus you know, uh, the being a pro debut, which you only get to document once, which again, if we said we were doing, you know, if we committed to say doing the roster with one eight seven, because, you know, Nick Slowiak's going up there, which was discussed because we all love Nick and, and the one eight seven guys. And I, and I, it really looks like they're maybe going to, you know, start making some ground. We would have to pass on a story like that. That's a once in a time, you know, that's a, literally a once in a lifetime. Do you make your pro debut? Um, so it's not a bad thing per se that we're not doing roster. It really is going to let us do some other cool stuff. Yeah. I can't wait to see it, man. It's going to be, it's going to be a crazy year with uh, all, a lot of those teams that have bounced out and, and the roster shakeups on different teams, these new rules, uh, you know, how's, how are some of these, uh, the newer pro teams going to do? I mean, Revo had such a crazy end of the year, and uh, it's gonna be. It, I'm, I'm. It, we're only about what? We're two months away right now, so eight weeks. Oh, that's kind of scary. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, cool, man. It's it's a great time to. I really think this, dude. It, it, again, not to be a cheese ball about it, but it's a great time to be a paintball fan, man. You you've got the webcast itself to watch. You're gonna have all the stuff that we're gonna do. Um, you know artifacts some of the profiles that we're doing you've got virtue and gi producing content um and and worthwhile stuff so yeah you know if somebody's asking you to plop 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 down 10 bucks or 20 bucks whatever whatever the webcast is um it's it's always about value man if you think that those shows are worth it and you're stoked with your experience then it's worth the those things are always worth the money um if if not that's when you get bummed out where you're like oh I paid 10 bucks for this and I think this show sucks. Hey man, fair enough. We'll try to make it better next time. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dan, I think we're just about out of time, man. I uh, cool, very much appreciate you, uh, you know, giving us some insight into how these things get created. It's always fascinating and, uh, definitely can't wait to see your new stuff this year. And, you know, Hey, also, you know, Dan does branded content for non paintball stuff too. So if you've got a company that needs something done, uh, or anything really that needs to get created in that world, hit them up. Yeah, man, disconnectedmedia.com. Um, and then also, yeah, I think it's today, the series finale for now 
of uh, the roster episode six with aftershock is uh out up uh up on pb nation so uh people can go check it out and we did an hour-long finale hopefully to satisfy everybody's it's like 62 minutes potentially the last roster ever i mean who knows i hope not maybe we'll get it to come back next year who knows but for right this second yeah this is this is your last little taste That's the band's last show yeah crazy well, I can't wait to see the new stuff, man. And I really want to see that that uh, AC Dallas. So that's going to be an artifact, then. Yeah. Yep. We're gonna. So you'll 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 get a script for that one, buddy. Uh, I can't for, wait for some narration. So yeah, that'll that'll be an artifact. Um, I had a crazy production meeting this morning about really doing something outside the box um, involving Grayson, which I definitely can't say any more about that. Uh, which again, there's no way that we can do this if we were under the confines of doing a roster. So as a, as a storyteller and a director, it, like, I mean, that excites me, you know, and I think sometimes when you get excited and rejuvenated, you do better work. Um, so this is, this is going to be a good year for Eclipse content. I'm stoked. Awesome, man. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you, Dan, for uh, also tuning in and uh, helping us here. But yeah, man, it's going to be a crazy PSP year. And uh, we got some more podcasts coming at you as well, too. Hopefully, um, I really want to get Mikey Bruno and Shane Pastana not together, but separately. I've been trying to get those guys for a while. So uh, if you can help me help the cause of, uh, you know, getting these these crazy stories on the record, uh, please, you know, bug both Shane Pastana and Mikey Bruno. Uh, and then we're going to have a, uh, a requiem. I'm going to call it the excessive requiem. I'm going to have Rich Telford on here. So, cause the excessive is no longer going to be competing, which is super sad for me, but, uh, you know, Hey man, things don't last forever and neither does a podcast. So thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks to our sponsors and, uh, Dan, thanks again. Absolutely, man. My pleasure. Appreciate you having me on. And we'll see you guys next time. Peace.